Well, let's pray, and then we're looking to Exodus 20. Father, thank you for this sweet time of worship today. Thank you for the men leading us tonight. Lord, what a, a wonderful set of songs, Lord. All theologically sound, but yet very worshipful. They captured our hearts and our attention. They plowed the road for us to hear the word of God. So, Lord, we thank you for worship. Thank you that you gave us voices And Lord, no matter how uh, the abilities are, how good the tones are, you've never asked us to do that, but you've asked us to sing, to sing with one accord. Lord, thank you that we live in a state where we don't have to defy orders, because Lord, we would. We would sing. And we'll sing all the way till the end, because you're worthy of it be with our brothers and sisters out west in different places around the globe that are battling battles we never thought we would see but are here now, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are in the path of a hurricane and the path of riots. The world is groaning for its creator to return and man is acting in his depravity. And so we pray for those who are in the path of both pray that you would be merciful to them. Lord, we know you'll deal with sinners, so we ask you for mercy for the saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been stuck in this Ten Commandments, <laughs> cruising along. I'm in my fourth sermon, and we're going to try to get through a couple more commandments today, but I hope you've been enjoying this. It's been rich to study it, to think through it, to contemplate it as it affects my life and yours, and uh, what a joy. So just in a way of uh, just some introduction, I thought I wrote some thoughts this morning and down that I thought maybe would help us get our minds back in this text. Uh, number one is remember that the law is an expression of the lawgiver's heart. It's an expression of God's heart and character. When we study the law, though Christ fulfilled it for us, we still look at the law and see the expression of God's heart. His character is in it. It's righteous. It's perfect. And so don't miss that. And the law was not given uh, to only show us what God wants, but to show us what God is like. You gotta realize that when you read it. This is what God's like. He's about life. We're gonna study thou shalt not murder tonight. Um, He's about family. Uh, Honor your mother and father. Uh, This is what he's about. So when you study these, you go, that's what our God's about. So we should be about that stuff. That puts us very contrary to the world today, right? There's ideas, destruction of the nuclear family. Oh, that's not God. That's far from it. And so we study the law not only to see his character, but to see what he's like, what he likes, what he desires. Also remember that the commands of God set Christians apart from the world. They're designed to set us apart from the world. We're 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 not... of the world we may be in the world for a short time but we're certainly not of it and God's law teaches us that we're set apart we are believer priest that's who we are we are God's people set apart who can walk into his holy of holies at any time ten commandments were not given to free the nation of Israel I've said this many times he didn't give the ten commandments to free them he gave them after he freed them, and that's so he could direct them, to fence them, to bring them into closer fellowship with him. 
this holy God and sinful people to bring them there. Keep us where we need to be. God's law were not given in order for us to earn salvation. That's been the mistake. That's been the mistake down through time. God's law were not given to, to, to earn salvation in some way because salvation isn't earned through obedience. You'll never get there. you'll, You'll be frustrated. You can never earn your way, but salvation is the reason for obedience. Isn't that wonderful? We get to love our spouses. We get to honor our parents. We get to not kill people. (laughs) We're for life. We're for life. John, in the book of John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You love me, out of that love flows a desire to keep those commandments. Man needs moral instruction and cannot be found by listening to himself. When man listens to himself, he is in huge trouble. I trying to stay off Twitter and all that other stuff. You just go, today I happen to look at a couple of things going on, and I thought, oh, man just listens to himself. He's a dead man. He's a dead man talking to dead people. All his thoughts and ways are dead. See, we don't listen to ourselves, and when we do, you know, and I, you know we get in trouble, don't we? We listen to God. He is our instructions. We must listen to him. And so the Ten Commandments are a great tool for discipleship. They're a great tool to disciple mature believers and new believers. They're a great tool for discipleship. Just start with the first one. Don't have any other gods before me. Is that not a great discipleship tool? Oh God, search me. See if there's any wicked ways within me. See if there's any other gods that I have set up on my heart. I think that's a great discipleship tool. What a great gift these are to help both new believers and mature believers. Think about the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and of course Jesus whips out the latter half of the Ten Commandments to him and exposes his heart like that. Just exposes his heart. And showed that he lacked love for God, he lacked love for his neighbor, and he went away completely discouraged because at the end of the day, when you try to bring yourself to God through your own efforts, you will be discouraged. In fact, you will end up eternally discouraged. That's what happened. The law was meant to help us see our sin and run to God. And yet, here's God in the presence of this young, rich ruler, and he's miserable because he doesn't want to come his way, right? Our world is full of people who do not want to come to God God's way. So they're miserable, and they fight and quarrel and kill each other and do all those things. We can't be a part of that. So, can we keep the commandments fully and perfectly? Well, no. We, We can't. So Christ did for us. Do they serve to show us sin and lead us to Jesus Christ? Absolutely. That's what they do. You study the commandments and you're gonna go, I am so grateful, Jesus, you died for me. You study them all, apply them to your heart, be honest and open, and you'll be so grateful for the cross. But the commandments also show us a way to live, a way to love a way to love God with all our hearts and our soul and our mind and our strength, which is the greatest of all the commands. And so we study these. How perfect was Jesus' answer back in Mark 12? 
a little while ago, um, there when they're coming to trap him and want to know what the greatest command is. And Jesus just pulls out the, the word of God because it's his word. And, and he says, listen, O Israel, <laughs> hear, pay attention, Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Right there, I'm standing in front of you. We are one I am everything God is, and you're about ready to kill me. You're trying to. And then he says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with, all, with your mind, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. And so when we study these, that's the goal. Do not start fighting about Sabbath and all of that. I hope I made that clear last week. Every day is a Sabbath for a believer. We walk in his rest we rest in Christ. But we don't start wrangling with those things if, if you're not loving God more than you got it wrong. Does that make sense? You got it wrong, go back, look at it. Are you more loving? Do you love God more? Do you love your wife more? Do you love your children more? Do you love your church family more? Do you, do you care to share the gospel more? Then you'll start understanding, I think I got the commandments right in some fashion. All right, enough of introduction because I gotta get going through a few of these. Number one, the fifth command for fellowship. Remember, I've kind of listed this all under fellowship. God is bringing us to show us how we have fellowship with him, how we don't step out outside that bounds that he has for us so we enjoy him immensely. And so let's look at here the fifth command, verse 12, which simply says, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Well, here this fifth commandment connects the previous four commandments of our relationship with God to the next four commandments that have to do with our relationships with our family and neighbors. Now, this is really important. You have a right relationship with God, you'll have a right relationship with your wife, with your children, with society, to the best we can be. And, and you can't miss this. The first four is your relationship with God, then this is the connecting one. It has a lot to do with our role in society to connect us with personal relationships and relationships in this world. And if you don't honor the first set, the first four, you don't love God and come away from that knowing him and longing with him and wanting to know his character and to see what he is like, the next are gonna be very difficult. And so there's a, there's a tie here. Let me, let me read this again. The, the fifth commandment connects the previous four commandments of our relationship with God with the next four commandments that have to do with the relationship with family and neighbors and people we live with. Such an important truth. Now, this commandment is not just a command for children to uh, just simply obey their parents as much as how important that is. We'll get to that in a minute. But it presents the family as the foundation on which all well-ordered societies operate. And, and you all know this. I, I think many of you know this. When parental responsibility is neglected and when children refuse to honor their parents, society crumbles. Exhibit A. Turn on the news. It's being led by the youth of our world right now in so many ways. This is, this is such an important command. 
look, it displays the priority of marriage. This command starts in the first part to, to display the, the priority of marriage between a male and female, mother and a father. You can't twist that, although they try, don't they? And the result of this God-given marriage, it produces children. God said, fill the earth. Fill the earth. And for most couples, we marry, and then in time, we have children. And then they marry, and they have children, and so forth for most people. And then those who God providentially withholds children, he lets them raise other people's children often. This is his way of helping society be strong and, and productive. And that's what exactly what God told Adam and Eve and all of mankind. He said, fill the earth. And he, he laid down the principle of marriage and family before the fall. This was God's design. Notice the word honor there in verse 12. Um, it, see, the Bible is telling us that honor is is required that the mother and the father be treated both publicly and privately with due respect as long as they live. And I like this fact. And notice that the emphasis is on both the patriarch and the matriarch, and they're given the equal role of being honored. That's, that's important. Sometimes children will try to separate their parents. They'll sinfully try to honor, and that's probably a bad word for that, honor one and reject the other. That's not what God wants. Notice there's an equality to honor both the father and mother. Treat them equally, publicly, and privately. Notice also that the emphasis is that the father and mother are joined in a way that holds the integrity of the family together here. It doesn't say just honor one of them because the society and the family is built upon both of them. And it isn't hard to see when you travel or in our own society here or anywhere else, you begin to look out where certain cultures are falling apart and most of the time you can put your finger on the absentee of one of the parents. They're not fathering children they are not mothering children they are not nurturing and cherishing them they are not pointing them towards God or even in societal not uh, unsaved group are not even teaching them to respect parents in fact just recently someone was telling me that one of the public school systems was put out something and they they got kind of caught and recorded on this and they were they were showing stuff. They said, look, we don't want to go private. We don't want to do all this teaching in the house because we don't want parents to know what we're teaching the children. And it got caught and recorded and, of course, hit Twitter and everywhere and everybody's going, what are you teaching them? Well, you know what they're teaching them. Explosion, get rid of the nuclear family. And this is what destroys societies, let alone Christian homes. See, the nature of that promise in regard to Israel is that they would enjoy a full blessing of the covenant by dwelling in the land, and God would give them uh, everything they need, and they would enjoy peace. And you can see that right in the, the promise. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. It's, it's got promise there, doesn't it? But I want to remind you that all of these commands are found in the singular that you in there, honor your father and mother, that you, that your days will be prolonged in the land. 
and that the Lord gives you that singular soul. Remember, all these commands are not, they, they have a national aspect to them, but they're given in a singular, given to the individual person. Now, when you start to think about this in the New Testament, um, Paul takes full advantage of this and brings it over um, into a more Christocentric way. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, we'll get there in a little bit when we get to uh, husbands and wives because the commands are gonna deal with that as well. But um, everything is built on Christ. He is pictured in the, in the role of the church to the husbands and husband and wife and, and then it filters on down through children and, and, and employees and employers and slaves and so forth all the way down that Christ is the center of all those things. And so Paul says this in Ephesians chapter six, verse two, verse, and verse three, honor your father and mother. And then he adds this, which is the first command with promise. And then the explanation, the result of it, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And so the apostle Paul calls the fifth command a commandment with promise. There's a promise to this. I mean, this teaches you such the important the importance of raising godly children and children responding to parents correctly, the, the benefits that come from that. Not, not just merely with long life and those, but, but God is glorified, society is healthy, the church is healthy. Now, again, in the New Testament, we find these as singulars. They're not plurals. Again, honor your father and mother so that it may be well with you and that you may live life long on this earth. They're all singulars here. But Paul puts this promise in the New Testament terms so that it may go well with the child and that that child may enjoy long life here. And so question, does God deliver capital punishment to habitual disobeying children? That's a hard question to answer. I've seen a few things, um, buried a few people that I've wondered, young people, hard, hard funerals. Burying 21-year-old young men is hard to bury them. And you wonder. But here, I mean, the verse is clear, though. Paul says, look, that it'll go well with you. The command, the original command, that you'll love long in the land. And yet, probably one of the biggest issues we have going on in society, and unfortunately in a lot of churches, is kids that just don't respect their parents. And there's problems there on parents' end, right? We know, we're not perfect. But notice the conditions of the command. Nowhere in the command is that honoring your father and mother when they're really good. When they got all their acts together, when, they're, when they got all the ducks in a row and they're lined up and they're being the best examples ever, none of that is in there. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged. They're, they're not based on some kind of condition. And, and the command to, to children just flows in such a wider aspect. You get into verses like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, and in there he says, honor, honor the king. So I... And then it says, honor everyone else. So there's a connection to honoring mom and dad, honoring your neighbors, honoring your friends, honoring the president, honoring local government, honoring those God puts an authority over. So there's a real connection. It'd be really interesting to grab all those young writers and just start talking with them. I don't know if they would want to have a conversation with me, but just ask them how the relationship with their parents are. Where, where is that at? 
Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says that we are to give preference to one another in honor. So there, God has given us this beautiful home that's made up of a mom and a dad and children. The mom and dad are to be faithful to one another. We'll see that in a minute. Children are to honor their parents. We're given everything we need in that home. And then there's a church that comes alongside that marriage, comes alongside that parenting, comes alongside that child and and gives us the encouragement and help to help us lead lives that that honor the Lord. We have everything we need in the word of God and what the word of God supplies for us. And yet, we fail to give preference. Now, a couple of thoughts that are a little hard that are coming here, but buckle up. The culture is clearly changing, isn't it? And it's always been changing. Al Mohler said it this way, that the culture has always been a teeter. And you know it teeters and tots compared to who's in the offices. But it seems that over this last decade, there has been a a change in it and once it starts to go it goes rapidly and, and, and that's just historical and you can study all societies that gone through go, go back and study the Roman society what happened to them it's amazing how their enemies just walked in on them and took them because of immoral decay within Rome so the culture is now just hitting this major reset button they're wanting to wipe everything out. Let's start all over. We have brand new ideas, and, and they're about ready to do that. And brothers and sisters, look, the church must be careful. We are not hitting any reset button. We may have to, at times, realize where we have failed in some way and repent of those things. But we have never left the guidelines of God's word. And we may struggle to fulfill those from time to time in different decades of the church. But, but we've stayed within the Christian mandates that God gives for the church. And look, the world's about ready to reset. They want to redo here on this. But we stay firmly rooted in Christ and his word. Now, it's clear the culture is becoming increasingly secular and it's it's likewise so important that we parents moms and dads grandparents where we can have our hands in those things help equip our children with a with a humble boldness to be ready and to be a counterculture uh effort in this world remember counterculture was always something weird before we're the counterculture now (laughs) And that's what's happening. So today's children need not only to be taught that what is true, but how to distinguish what's truth from false. Moms, dads, grandparents, school teachers, Sunday school teachers, you come alongside and help them with these things. Um, We don't replace them, but we come alongside in so many ways. We have to not just point out, oh, that's bad, bad. We have to say, no, here's truth, truth. Because truth sets you free, right? And so we have to hold to that. And and look, our kids are gonna swim against the tide. And they're gonna stand up in a flood of lies 
a flood of lies. And, and moms and dads who have had the ability to sit in church and be taught and be discipled, you have that knowledge and you can't get so lost in what's going on and, to, and trying to pay bills and all the things that happen. And I know it. we were there, we had four kids and not two nickels to rub together at times. You know, it's difficult. But pointing those children to Christ, pointing them to truth is so paramount. And another thought here, I think this is where maybe succeeding generations have struggled in. They were such a fight to have your child to be so widely admired and accepted. To get the next scholarship, to get the next grades, to, to get the next high paying job. We, we poured everything in trying to get them successful. And yet, think about this. God's word tells us to raise our children to be ready to be, this is, this is gonna be hard, to be hated for Christ. Did you see the video that's running right now, gone viral, of the Christian girl that's trying to stand up against the rioters? She's actually sitting down and they're just threatening and they're screaming, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And they're just right in her face. Hundreds of them just you know, packed in against this one gal. Brothers and sisters, our job as parents and grandparents, church leaders, Sunday school teachers, um, school teachers, homeschool moms and dads, have we ever thought that God caused us to raise our children to be ready to be hated for following Christ? It's, it's a tall order, isn't it? Man, you study this and you go, oh Lord, I wish I would have done this different. I wish I would have done this different. And we, we know that. I don't think there's a parent in here that doesn't understand their fallibility and our dependency on the Lord. But it's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late to always point your children to the Lord and for them to learn to honor their mom and dad. And it doesn't matter how old you are, but the Bible's clear that we are to honor them. See, it takes intentionality. Intentionality. We have to make it our purpose to raise a generation that is biblically courageous. Biblically courageous. Standing on the word of God. Because everything is collapsing around us. And I think this was happening, not, it's not only happened in our generation, brothers and sisters, but it's not hard to read the Bible. What's he, why is he telling them to do this? Because it's not being done. Husbands are not loving their wives like Christ of the church. Wives are not submitting to their husband as a picture of the church. Children are not obeying their parents. Slaves and servants are, are fighting against their masters or not being uh, gracious testimonies to those whom they work for. Um, he's addressing all of this because it's a problem. Because even though we're saved, we still let our flesh pull us along. There's such clear consequences. I... Gene and I were reading this passage today. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. Before you get to the excellent wife of Proverbs 30, you find a very disobedient child. And not wife is in 31, but in verse chapter 30, you find a very disobedient child. Verse 11, 
There is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. Isn't that interesting? There's a kind. (laughs) There's a kind of young person out there who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There is a kind who is pure in his eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There's an outward living, right? Verse 13, there is a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. There is a kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. This is the result of of not honoring your mother and father. These kids grow up and they devour. They devour. Because they don't want to do things God's way. And ultimately, this lack of honor and respect of parental relationships stems from a lack of honoring God. Aaron's asked me to teach this series to the youth, these commandments, and I'm going to take some time let somebody else preach throughout the year. I'm going to keep dropping in and taking one commandment in on them. I love teaching to those kids. Um, but I thought about them today, and I thought, you know, young people, if you don't love God, you're going to do horrible things that you don't even want to do. That's what happens. I wrote in my notes here, I said, don't worship God, don't worship Christ. You will not love your wife or husband. You will not love your children. Your children will not love your parents. And your great heartache is coming. Love your God with all your soul, your might, your strength. That's where it all falls apart. But, but to finish this, and I want to put a little more positive spin on this, we get to love our families. <laughs> I am forgiven. At any time, I can go to my dear bride and say, sweetheart, will you forgive me? I failed to treat you as though you were a picture of the church to Christ, and I I failed to do that. And I want your forgiveness. We have that in Christ. And she can forgive me. And we can have a sweet fellowship again and, and start again to love our children and grandchildren and, and our, our church and those around us and neighbors and so forth. See, we have this great opportunity to be family members and because God forgives us and we don't have to be stuck in sin. We don't have to be stuck in ugly relationships. We can forgive and we can acknowledge sin and we can move forward. It's such a blessing. You you do not have to be like the world that doesn't have an answer. They just give you medicine. They they don't know how to deal with the heart. They don't know how to deal with the soul. They have no idea what the mind's doing, no matter what they say. We know it's deprived, but not us. We've been regenerated, made new, new creatures. We have a forgiving God who loves us and forgives us, and we can make our relationships new again. There's many in this room who have gone through difficulties in marriages and God has strengthened you and you've repented and God has restored your marriage and you're a great testimony to your children and to the church. There's others of you that are still struggling because you stick your heels in the ground and you always want to fix somebody else. That's what God asks you to do. He says, turn to me, walk with me. So many times I've given counsel that 
too. A woman or a, a man or a, husband, a wife or a husband saying, you're not going to fix her or him. And God's not asking you, when, tell me when did he ever ask you to go fix her or him. Walk with Christ. Walk with Christ. Let the love of God flow out of you where it's hard to be mean to you. God will deal with that person. Look, use these unchangeable resources. The word of God. Brothers and sisters, pull close to people in your life. Um, young moms in here, pull close to older moms that have raised kids and will be honest with you and take you to the scriptures. Pull close to them. Young men, find godly men in your life. Find older men and ask them to help you keep you accountable. Help disciple you. You don't want to go through maybe what they will even tell you, what happened to them. Pull close to them. Invest. Be a part of children's ministry. Get your kids in music, uh, one voice. I say music and more. One voice. Uh, let them learn theology and theory and practice of singing to the Lord. Who's doing that in the world today? Who's teaching your children to sing praises to God? It's the church. Take advantage of that. Come and sing out when you're here, when your children are lined up in the row with you. Sing out. Let, let your children hear your bad voice, Dad. It's okay. Uh, uh, man, we should raise the roof off this building in the, in the, with the knowledge that's in this room of all we've been taught. The pillars should be in trouble in this room as we sing out. And oh, to raise another generation of kids who will sing while they're being hauled off, maybe. Oh, let's, let's use these resources, brothers and sisters. Well, there's one command down. Let's move to the six. We have so much to say about that, can't we? The sixth command for fellowship, verse 13, almost the shortest, this in 15, you shall not murder. Well, there's two really good commands. Honor your parents and don't kill people. I mean, I don't think you have to be a Christian to know that those are good things. <laughs> Honor your parents, don't kill people. And, and there's such a conciseness of this command, I love it. It just reflects this general view of the Old Testament's teaching on the sanctity of life. Don't kill people. I made them and I made them in my image. Do not kill them. Don't kill them in the womb, don't kill them out of the womb, don't kill them when they're older. I take life, I give life, do not step in my path. It's a great command, isn't it? And yet we're riding in the streets while we're slaughtering babies in the womb. See, life's a gift from God. It's not at human disposal. You don't have the right to take somebody's life in a murderous way. The verb here is used for killing or murder. It's it's murder of a person. It's never used of killing an animal. Oh, and that's making its way into the church in places. You have what called green churches now. I don't know if you've ever seen this stuff. Oh my goodness. Got a face on it, it's murder. That's making its way into our church, into our churches. The verb's never used for that. In, in, in the Hebrew word here, it reflects just a wide range of meanings in, in and then there's other words that kind of dial in closer on, on situations pertaining to killing another person. There's, there's quite a few different Hebrew words. Um, but this word 
um, it doesn't include um, killing in war. It doesn't include in judicial obligation to the death penalty. It's not used ever in that word, that way, this word. But however, all in all, the word for murder in verse 13 reflects its range well. And, and where you see it most, and I have time to go there, I thought about working through Numbers 35, but you can look at it later. It's used over and over in that, and it goes from everything from accidental death to premeditated manslaughter in that. This, this is talking about you killed somebody, particularly on purpose. Now, murder was one of the earliest indications of the depth of human uh, depravity, wasn't it? Look at Genesis chapter four with me. Just, I think we know this text and we studied it, not, well, it's been quite a while, but um, Genesis four shows us of Cain and Abel, doesn't it? Verse one, such a beautiful verse, they've, fallen and God has come and preached the gospel to them and said that he's going to send one who will crush the head of the serpent and so in chapter 4 verse 1 Adam and Eve have their first child and she's she's overwhelmed she says I have gotten a man child with the Lord's help there seems to be this attitude like maybe this is a one that'll release us from this curse maybe this is the seed she's hopeful she believed God's word didn't she well he didn't quite turn out that way did he (laughs) This is Cain. She gives birth in verse two to another one that's Abel, and Abel's a keeper of the flocks. Cain is a tiller of the ground. And it came about in the course of time, verse three, Genesis four, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, brought the firstlings of his flock and also the fat portions. We talked about that. You can go back and listen to the sermon. It's online. But And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Hold, hold, hold your finger there. You refuse to come to me my way. Very immature Christians are un, mostly unbelievers really stumble over this. Oh, it's unfair. He had a really good pineapple, you know, or whatever he brought. No, no, doesn't matter how good the fruit was, you still did not come God's way. And when people get rejected of coming to God, and and maybe you even sit with them and you say, well, yeah, no, God doesn't accept that immoral lifestyle. He doesn't accept that. It's not not, not pleasing to him. Anytime you do that, guess what happens? Look at the middle of five. So Cain became very angry. Disobedience and anger go together. And you and I know it. When we are defiantly disobedient and God's pressing on our heart and we don't want to repent, what do we do? We get angry and we start blame shifting and pointing fingers and all kinds of things because we got to get that guilt off us somehow. And here's Cain would not come God's way. So the immediate response from Cain as he refuses to come God's way is very angry and his countenance fell. And what does that look like? Well, I think there's outward. You can see where your children start to pout, but God sees the heart. And the countenance is tied to the heart here, and God sees it. And so then, look at verse 6, and the Lord said to Cain, look at the graciousness of God coming to this man who he created, gave him life, gave him all these fruits and vegetables to enjoy, but come my way. There's one way to come to me, it's through a lamb, and that's never going to change until the final lamb comes. But he's so kind to him, and the Lord comes to him and says, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fall? How gracious of God, isn't he? He's, he's letting Cain confess, isn't he? Oh, Cain, repent. 
turn to the Lord. Don't do this, Cain. <laughs> I mean, it's so kind of God. This is Yahweh. And then the Lord said, uh, excuse me, then verse seven, if you do well, if you come to me the way that I've instructed you, your perfect, holy, sinless God, if you follow my instructions, will not your countenance be lifted up? Isn't it fun to obey? I mean, it's really nice. When you obey, it's good. You have joy, right? We see that in our children's life. When they obey, there's joy there. When there's disobedience, there's anger and problems. But he says your countenance will be lifted up. And if you do not do well, sin. There's this lion picture crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. You must master it. You must learn to turn to me. Sin's just ready to devour people. And notice what happens. It's so sad. And Cain told, Cain told Abel, his brother, well, what did he tell him? I don't know. Maybe that I met with God? This is what God said? And it came about when they were in the field, all of a sudden this anger comes out of control. Sin is unrepentant of and turned from. And what has happened? Cain arose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Look, church family, this is, the, this is to help you understand that man has not gradually got worse. The first kids are killing each other. It doesn't get any bad worse than this, does it? This is full out depravity, full on display. The almighty Yahweh God speaking with him and he rejects the counsel of God and turns around, has a conversation with his brother and kills him. This is where sin takes you. And then, to top that off, the Lord comes to him. And he says, where's your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Whew. Some thin ground. But you know the story. God's extremely gracious. Puts a hedge around him the rest of his life. But God only keeps it there for so long because he knows that the pre-flood world, Cain's descendants, those who love sin rather than God became full of murder and violence, Genesis chapter 6 says. And then if you're still there, look at Genesis chapter 9. And, and God had clearly not let Cain be killed. He, remember, instead of repenting, he just says, oh, my burden's so big, I, I can't handle it. You know, you killed your brother. And God graciously puts a hedge around him. But by the time the flood is done, the ark has landed, Mo, uh, Noah's getting final instructions here and you get in chapter 9 there, he tells them be fruitful and fill the earth remember there's just family members here they're coming off the earth um, he puts a fear back in the animals so you can chase them around and hunt them I really appreciate verse 2 there chapter 9 um, every moving thing is given for food for you the, uh, sorry vegetarians um, eat cows um, uh, I give this all to you also green plants so have a salad with it verse 4 only you shall not eat of with its life, that is its blood. And now he starts to turn this thing to the inner type, in, dealing with the inner person. Don't eat it with its blood. Um, meat's not that good with it in it anyway. So drain the blood out. That's, that's a teaching of life. And, and then verse 5, surely I will require your lifeblood. For every beast I will require it. And from every man and from every man's brother. Isn't that interesting? I will require the life 
of a man, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for it is the image of God he is made like man. So here he installs uh, the death penalty. And so this is not what this is talking about, but I want to make sure you understand. God says, look, there is a time to put people to death. And Israel did that for a while. We see that with Achan, who put the whole nation in jeopardy as he disobeyed God, and him and his family were stoned to death. And, and we see that all the time. But, but look, the sanctity of life requires that those who, without warrant, without the right, proper, God-given warrant, take somebody's life, they are to lose their own. The Bible is clear on this. And you can take it all the way right into Romans chapter 13. And this is the only way that a fallen society, remember we're a fallen society, America's a fallen society, can be kept from just total disintegration if you don't take care of lawlessness. And that's what we're seeing. Our streets are just full of lawlessness. And people are turning the blind eye and letting it happen. And yet, Romans 13 tells us God has divinely empowered governments to authorize those who bear the sword to bring punishment against the wrongdoers. In fact, here's the verses, chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear. He's asking a question. For are rulers not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil? He gives police, you know, that's why you... Yes, officers, yes, sir, yeah. I mean, we we should respect them. And again, we're... There's, there are certain bad ones, but, and, and they've done bad things, but God puts that for, to stop lawlessness. And then he goes on to say, do you want to have no fear of authority? Yeah, I, I want that. I don't want to be like, I'm in trouble when I didn't do something. Well, do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For it is a minister of God to do good. That's what God does. He raises up military and police and those in charge. And your PE teacher, you know. Stop doing that. Don't run in the halls. It's good for us. But God promises, look, he's an avenger. The Bible says here, he's an avenger who brings wrath on the one, and he says this, who practices evil. That's a big difference of, of some of the very, very wicked select few of police who have done things wickedly wrong but for those who practice evil God brings a wrath upon them well we don't want this to happen we'll stop practicing evil and that goes for the Hitlers of the world as well God raises up countries and war machines to go against men who practice evil that's what he does and he still does that and we pray he continues But like all the commands here, um, this has far-reaching implications, doesn't it? And so God desires his people that they're not merely just living this outwardly. He wants inwardly. So he, he wants Israel, the nation of Israel here, and the church as well. And they're told to love their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And their enemies, their, excuse me, their neighbors as themselves. And they're even told to love their enemies and, and the act of mur- murder wrong, if that act of murder is wrong, then think about what the inner attitudes are because that's what God looks at. And that's why Jesus uses in, uses in Matthew chapter five, right? You have heard that the ancients were, were told you shall not commit murder. It's interesting, he calls them ancients. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And then verse 22, Matthew five twenty-two. but I say to you, 
Woo. Here comes the Lord. He's looking into the heart that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the courts. And whoever says to his brother, you, uh, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, you shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, he looks into the heart, and this is what Jesus did so well. Pharisees were so well-groomed outwardly. Man, they had, the, they had it all going. They would tell you, just like the rich young ruler, we've kept all this from our youth. And yet Jesus, time after time after time, strips them, strips them of their religious, uh, spiritual gowns they wore to expose what their heart were. And he drills down into the heart. The apostles pick up on this. And listen, this, this, is, a, this is where this command is flushed out. Uh, John, 1 John 3, 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And that's the apostle John. He was there when Jesus taught this in the Sermon of the Mount. He, he by the inspiration of the scripture, says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I mean, it's quite a statement, isn't it? And of course, he goes on to the gospel to say, but, but that's not true of us. We don't hate because we've been, we know that we've experienced the love of God. And I just want, oh, I'm gonna go to one more verse here and I'll have to quit. Yeah, I'm not gonna get to the next one. Go to Titus, we'll end with this. Titus chapter three. Because it's, I think it's easy when we study this just to kind of start thinking about other people and maybe the societal things that are happening in our world. But I think Paul does such a great job to put our feet back on the ground here and turn, turn things back to praise. Titus chapter three, because hatred and anger and sinful attitudes towards others are they're just equally condemned. Just like that great commandment, thou shalt not murder this is this is just reiterates this. He tells us in chapter three, verse one, which is really good for us right now. Re- remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient to to every one uh, every one good deed. I mean, he's, I think that's such an important thing right now. To to be a church needs to be obedient to the laws best we can, unless they push us against scriptural mandates. Uh, Then he says, to malign no one, to be peaceable and gentle, showing every consideration for all men. You know how difficult it is right now. There people are not very nice, and you don't know if they're smiling or not or mad, and it's very difficult, but there should be a peaceableness about us, a gentleness, just opposite what we're seeing. And then he reminds us where we came from, and I want you to remember this. This is all deserving of death. This is all deserving of a death penalty spiritually, right? Verse three, for we... For we also once were foolish ourselves. I'm in Titus 3 3. Disobedient, deceived, and various, enslaved in various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, and listen to this, hateful and hating one another. This is us, dear brothers and sisters, before Christ rescued us. Before he transformed us and regenerated, because that's what's going to go on. But I love verse 4. But Whoa, it's a good conjunction right there, right? Because it's looking pretty ugly in verse three. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, well, who appeared? So So the kindness of God is unveiled in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's everything that's kind about God is in the form of Jesus. He's now put his feet on this earth. 
in verse five just makes the statement, he saved us. Well, what did he save you from? From verse three. From all those things, whether you took part of that, you were certainly capable of doing it if you didn't do that. And you know in your own heart, you look at that list and you go, ugh, I know there's lust there at times. Ooh, I know there's a love of pleasure there at times. And I've even said, man, I don't like that guy. You know what we're capable of, Paul. But here the gospel comes, right? He saves us not based on our own deeds, right? Which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. He's washed us in regeneration. He's cleansed us. He's regenerated, made us alive. Breathed new life. We were dead in our sins. He did this through the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, declared righteous, never to stand condemned for our sins. That's a Christian. It's an amazing thought. Undeserved, yes, but that's reality. We, are, we stand uncondemned eternally because God declared us righteous through Jesus Christ. But according to his mercy, he regenerated, renewing us, he poured out this lavishly on us so we'd be justified by his grace that free gift, and we would be made heirs. That's our relationship with God. We're heirs, we're sons, we're daughters. He's our Abba Father. We share this with Jesus Christ according to the hope of eternal life, and this is a trustworthy statement. Teach it. Teach it. And so, Peter says, don't let any of you be found suffering as murderers, thieves, or evil meddlers. <laughs> says, don't let that be found about. That shouldn't be part of us. There's so much more to say when you teach the Ten Commandments. You could just go, because they flood through the scriptures, and then you tie them to the gospel, and you tie it to our heart. It just goes endless. And then it shows us the society we live in, and yet at that same time, we are supposed to live peaceful, righteous lives in the middle of this. God, God knows what society needs, doesn't it? May we be Christians who model a love for God in difficult times. Father, thank you for this reminder of this. Just two commands we got through tonight. Honor your father and mother. Lord, there's probably many in this room that moms and dads have gone on to be with the Lord or, or even have gone on to wait a judgment. And that's not possible to do, but it is possible to remember them correctly, Lord, and and to thank you for them, even though maybe some of the details are not the greatest, Lord, we can give you praise that through them we are here on this earth. And Lord, there's others that we can still honor in their older age, Lord. We can honor them in, in different ways, Lord. We can remember them and touch base with them and cause them to know that we love them, Lord. And then even for others in this room whose parents are still vital and strong and still on this earth, Lord, I pray that these people would just take that opportunity to tell their parents they love them. And they appreciate them. They're grateful God used them to bring them into life. Grateful for their wisdom and, and honor them in many ways. Some may have unsaved parents in this room and that makes it a little more difficult, but still you can honor them. You can move into their house or go to their house and honor their ways and the things that they do. Lord, appreciate them. There's many ways to do that, Lord. And they give way to the gospel opportunities. Lord, thank you for the sanctity of human life. Thank you that you're head of that organization. <laughs> that is not a man-made organization, though we are grateful for those ones, Lord. You are the one who made life 
worth saving. We are made in the image of God, and every unborn child who's been aborted was an image bearer. Every child put in the arms of a mom on the birthing table is an image bearer. Every one of us that look to our spouse and look into his or her eyes, we look into an image bearer of our Father in heaven. And so, Lord, we are careful with life. We thank you that you authorize that life can be taken when those who have been so destructive need to be stopped. We thank you for our law enforcement, Lord. They are such under attack. And within that group, there are some bad people, Lord, sinful people, and they need to be dealt with. And we ask that you would give justice there. But at the same time, Lord, a country without laws and someone to make sure that they're upheld, Lord, is a country of lawlessness and will self-destruct. And so we pray for our law enforcement. We ask that you protect them. We pray that they would obey the laws given to them. They would handle people rightly. But we as Christians would be known as respecters of the law. And Lord, someday when they come to arrest us, it would be hard for them to do that because we've been kind to them, Lord. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom to do that. We pray for our men and women, our young people. It hits our family hard, Lord, that are serving in the military right now. They're asked to go to other countries and uphold law in difficult places where people seek to kill them. We ask that you would protect them, Lord. Give our nation's leaders wisdom, Lord, when to put our young people in harm's way and when not to. Lord, we, we find ourselves in a mess because we're full of depravity here on this earth. And so we ask that you would cause leaders of this nation to turn to you. Without that, Lord, we will self-destruct. But we thank you that nothing can happen to us outside of your great providence. You know every hair on our heads. You know our breath. You know our thoughts before we think. You know when we lie down and when we rise up. There is nothing that can happen to us. You got COVID in control. You have cancer in control. You have car wrecks in control. Nothing is outside of your control, and we praise you for that. And I pray that us as believers would manage our lives that way. And Lord, there are times we cannot see what you're doing. And that's hard for us, Lord. We struggle with control. And I pray, Lord, I I pray you would help each and every one of us to be dependent on you. Let you lead. Let the perfect one lead. We would line our affairs up underneath you. We would trust you. We would speak more with you. We would read more of you to understand you and know what you're doing. It would cause us to trust you. We'll find peace even when it's difficult when we do those things, Lord. Father, thank you for a church that loves to hear the word of God. I pray now that we would not hide this under a bushel, but we would let God's word shine light in our areas, wherever our ministry is, whatever job we work at, whatever home we're in, wherever we are, Lord, that the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word would shine forth. So let us go from here as bright, shining lights, the church of Jesus Christ. Pray that you bring us back together soon, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.